Welcome to the 6AM Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6AM Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6AMRun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to the 6 a.m. Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. As always, this show is brought to you by 6 a.m. Run and 6amrun.com. Head over to that website to get 20% off of your first order. So we have a really great guest today. I think you're going to get a lot of this. You're going to get a play on words or a play on letters, however you see it, but I'll let her get into that. Today we have Janie Brown, and Janie has a unique story. I think she has an inspirational story. I think if you are on a run, or if you're in the car, or if you have your kids with you, or if you're by yourself, take a few minutes, just get to a good place. If you're running, just go on that road that you know you'll have about 30 to 45 minutes and listen to her story. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. Janie, Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for the audience? Yeah, thanks, Mark, for having me. It's it's totally my pleasure. Um, so my name is Janie Brown, and I am a performer, a singer, performer, coach, and public speaker, and a student in Queen at, at Queen's University in Canada. <laughs> Queen's University in Canada, not Queens in Queens, New York, but actually, no. in, yep. okay. All right. It's, I don't know if it's, a- it's actually located in a place called the Thousand Islands. Um, it's like a region of land between Kingston and another little s- smaller town called Brockville, which is where I grew up. Grew up. Um, and I'm taking online courses at Queens uh, in psychology. I, I think you definitely know it's in Canada when it's described as a region of land. Um, <laughs> we don't we don't have those in the states. We have cities and suburbs and the country. So um, I'll remember, I'm going to use that if you don't mind. (laughs) People come to my house. I love that. um, Region of land. Okay. (laughs) Um, But you have, so you say singer, you say coach, performer, all that good stuff. But you have an affinity for helping and ending the stigma in regard to mental health awareness, education, just people opening up and talking about it. Why is that? Why is that something you're so passionate about? Yeah, a great question. Um, so yes, I'm a mental health advocate. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a mental health health uh, mentor, I like to call myself because I'm not an official counselor. Um, and, you know, those, the, the sort of inspiration, let's say, to take on those positions, um, came from my own mental health battles that I've, you know, struggled with for years and that I continue to, to fight the good fight with. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it really comes from this place of like wanting to help other people not have to go through the same hell that I have on my journey. Yeah. 
one thing I really love, and we're going to get into, I know people want to hear about your singing and your performing and all that good stuff. And I'm sure you have to talk about that all the time because uh, your your video that you have on YouTube is very inspirational. I love it. However, there's one thing that really just really grabbed my attention. And I think a lot of people should hear this. And, and you mentioned that you were taught that fear is a weakness. Correct. But after years of fighting fears and losing, it's clear now that fear is just an untapped source of fuel. Yes. And I love that. I love that. <laughs> I think more people more people should should think that way, should say that out loud. That should be a daily affirmation. Fear is just an untapped source of fuel. So what is your relationship with fear? How has it changed throughout the years? But because even your um, uh, what you 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 change fear into a a different word, but I kind of want you to kind of talk about your relationship with fear. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's go way back. (laughs) When I first started performing, um, I was, I was about eight. Uh, and then I actually started performing by basically forcing all of my neighbors in our neighborhood to come to our front lawn and put on little shows for them. And then you know, after a couple years of that, my folks were like, all right, you know, this, this kid needs to be on stage. And I started doing public performances and professional shows after that. Um, and when I was young, like when I was, you know, between let's say like ages eight to 13, I was fearless on stage. I had, and I mean that, like I had no fear, no inhibition. It was just this, this place of freedom and music and flying. Um, And then when high school hit, you know, I started to become self-conscious of all kinds of things. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the era for that. Right. And that's when my stage fright really, um, you know, started to culminate and it lasted for, you know, over a decade. Um, and people often ask me like, how do you, like, how did you go so many years? Cause I've been on stage every single year of my life for 26 years. And like, how did you survive? you know, this long with, you know, that much paralyzing stage fright. And, you know, my main answer to that is just, I was really good at pretending and there was no education on a mental health in those years. And, you know, we didn't have Facebook back then, let alone like mental health mentors, Mm -hmm. um, especially in the small town of Brockville, Ontario, you know, where I was performing at the time. Um, so there wasn't really a, 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 strong consensus on how to deal with normal human emotions like fear, normal human emotions like depression, anxiety, things like, well, and you could argue that's not normal, but (laughs) a lot of the population has experienced that by now. So, you know, my relationship with fear in those years before I understood it was to bury it, was to hide it, was to say, I don't have fear and just to keep going, to keep pushing through. And you know, there's a, I think there's a blessing and a curse there. I think the, you know, the blessing was that because I was a good pretender and because I have a a really strong willpower and because my, you know, fight, flight or freeze default is fight. I always got on stage and I crushed it. Like I always did well. I was always able to somehow, you know, I, I was always well rehearsed. I think that helped, but I just, I always, you know, got the applause and, and, 
by society standards was successful. Um, but the curse was that because I was successful, I never had any means to change what was actually slowly destroying me behind the scenes. And eventually what happened was, you know, as successful as I was, my mental and physical health were, were just devoured by these unattended um, to feelings and emotions and traumas from my past that I just p- paid no attention to at all. You know, it was like, as long as I can meet my objectives on stage, it doesn't matter what I'm experiencing before and after, which was like, you know, hell. And I wanted to ask you, and thank you for opening up about that, and, and you're specifically talking about that fear you faced, you know, that stage fright. Yeah. Um, what about the behind-the-scenes stuff, like the songwriting, the producing, things like that, when you had to get with, the, uh, uh, if it was a live band, if you had to work with somebody on writing, if you had to work with a producer, like when people didn't see you on stage, was that fear also there? That's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that before, actually. Um Okay, so there's two ways I can answer that because I feel like it's almost mm-hmm. two questions in one. So mm-hmm. so first of all, um <laughs> you kind of already you kind of already figured it out figured it out by asking that question. Like mm-hmm. who you are on the stage is who you are off the stage. So the fear was coming up and my inability to manage my mental health and manage my fear, you know, right before executing a performance, that was all connected to the fact that I didn't have any mental health tools in my day-to-day life. Like I was, I was sort of dysfunctional in my day-to-day life in terms of how I thought about myself, like my self-beliefs, my self-esteem, um, how I coped with big emotions that I experienced, like the like high, high highs and the low, low lows, like how I coped with that was pretty unhealthy and dysfunctional. And so because of that, that also led to sort of this dysfunction around these higher stake performance performance environments. Um, so you kind of answered it in that, like, w- was there fear kind of in general? And it's like, looking back, it's, it's hard to say, cause I feel like I was just in survival, survival mode the whole time. And like, I didn't really have a ton of self-reflection in those years, but yeah, I would say that there was, you know, this untreated trauma, which I found out later, mm-hmm. um, you know, was trauma and it was a re- these, these sort of like anxieties and these mood swings mm-hmm. were a result of trauma and and so yeah that that was pretty much prevalent in all of my experiences i didn't really get too close to people the only people that i would get close to were in the context of what i was doing so we would be writing and recording and then i would leave and not hang out with people after and um any job that i had aside from recording like i just i didn't hang out with people i didn't have a social life um so that's you know that's another way it kind of showed up mm-hmm. um but when specifically how I dealt with my fear, um, you know, regarding like recording and writing, I was just really well prepared. I always showed up with lyrics pre-written to avoid any awkward um, sort of kerfuffles around like lyric choices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was it was hard for me to go on the vulnerable process with someone. I did it alone usually and then I'd show up with my you know, with my chops. Um, and then, you know, with recording, I was just always really, really well warmed up and stuff. I'd never warmed up in the studio. It was always before. So I, I just kind of hid. I kind of hid. You know, and I'm going to, 
I'm glad you're you're you answered that the way you did it, and which is uh, truthful. I don't want you to lie about it. I, I, I appreciate, it. <laughs> but I think you are talking about something that's so that something that so many of us do, and we kind of hide during the vulnerable parts. And once we're polished and shiny and everything is set, then we kind of come out and do our thing, um, you know. And I think a lot of us in life. Whether that be at the job, whether that be, and this goes for a lot of, and again, I'm not a doctor either. I'm not a therapist, but with, with high function, people with high function anxiety, like we do, and I'm one of those people, we do everything to prepare with every possible outcome. <laughs> totally. Like, and, yeah. and it is exhausting. And, you know, I used to, with the, the, the jobs that I've had in the past, I've, always been a a an exceeds employee and people were like oh that's great you're bragging i'm like no you don't understand what i did like literally i would prepare for any outcome in any situation to make sure i was prepared for it because i never wanted to seem like i was unprepared because for me that was me being vulnerable mm -hmm. and so you showing this crowd of people this polished well-versed hair perfect, perfect outfit, everything as placement as possible was probably the outcome of you being extremely anxious and just wanting to prepare for anything that could possibly go wrong on stage. Is that pretty much true? Yeah. I mean, like a thousand percent. I mean, you, you also just t touched on a, a sort of like a core theory in my work or, or philosophy, let's say, um, which is just that perfectionism drives um, anxiety, like perfectionism is, I, I say perfectionism is a great defense against rejection, but it's ultimately the ultimate path to self-destruction. Um, and yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you just, you just kind of nailed it. It's, it's like our, our armor is our perfection, but underneath it all, like, it's not even just that you're afraid of messing up, right? You're afraid of being made. Like you're afraid uh, of, yes. you know what I'm saying? Oh, like you did it. You, you did it. Yep. That's it. That is it. Yeah. Oh, uh, they, they found out. Oh no, they found out. Like, yep. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. And that's, yeah. that's got, for you, that's got to be exhaust. Like you have to, like, regardless if your show is five minutes or an hour, you have to come off stage being exhausted because you hit like mentally you're here, 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 then it peaks. And then you have to just come down really hard. I would, I would imagine. Yeah, there was a lot. There has been a lot of that patterning just in my life in general. I mean, the arts and like living like an entrepreneur and living as an artist is its own type of mental illness. And I've heard Tim Ferriss mm -hmm. say something similar, like, like, even if you di weren't predisposed to some, you know, complex PTSD or some mental health condition, and you're like, you know, relatively like someone without those things. Right. And you walk the path of an entrepreneur and an artist, like you're going to get a taste of what it's like to be mentally ill. You know, it's just, it's just the, it's just the path. There's no stability. There's no consistency for the most part. And especially in the arts, it's this, you know, the highs are really, really high. The lows are really, really low. And I, th I think like, you know, on stage, it's sort of expected that you're, you know, in hair and makeup and everything's glorious and wonderful. So it's it's not even that I felt like what I was doing was out of place necessarily. It's mo It was more the before and after. Like I felt like when I was on stage, even if I was just shattered before going on, when I got out there, I was somehow able to find 
at least some sense of freedom, at least some um, sense of relief and release, <laughs> maybe because I knew it was coming to an end soon. Who knows? But um, it was really it was really everything around the performance. And that I really think that speaks to kind of what Stutz was saying. I don't know if you watched that documentary, but where he was talking about people, especially people in the arts, like actors and stuff, live for these snapshots of life. And the problem with that is that a snapshot is just a snapshot. It's like this still frame and it's a millisecond or less than of one aspect of your entire life. And I was living for those. Like the stage and the performance was these, it was these snapshots and everything before and after just, I guess I just thought, well, it doesn't matter as long as those snapshots are like what they need to be. It's crazy to think about. I, I agree. It is. And one thing which I think is, is very interesting when I talk to you and I, and I hear about you on stage and singing like now as in the role that you're in now, you're a person that is a, a public speaker. You speak to people in public settings about issues you have had about performing in public settings. And that's got to be one that's got to feel really good. You you have I mean if no one has told you yet like well done, bravo, that's awesome you. that you're able to turn that turn that into something so positive. Um I mean South by Southwest, there's so many things that you yeah I mean we're not talking about like again this 8-year-old that's getting neighbors to come <laughs> and 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 talk. We're talking about venues. Mm-hmm. So um mm-hmm. You know, how do you take what you've learned uh, about yourself and when you give those talks now? Because remember, there's no background. There's no music behind you. There's, you know, there's nothing like that. It's just you and a microphone. Like how how does that feel now to you when you're on that stage? Oh, that's such an interesting question. You know, My impulse is to say the realer it is, the better it feels. Like uh, this conversation right now, I mean, arguably it's a type of performance in that it's being presented to others. Like others will eventually see it. Um, And it's like this conversation feels so good because it's so raw and real. And there's just, it's like we really just can be ourselves, you know? And it's not to say that that, can't show through in both my performances and my speaking engagements. But yeah, it, 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 I think it's really predicated on um, how freely I can be myself or how much I feel like I'm fitting into some box for what whoever hired me. Um, I will say that there's certain things that I've talked about on stage that at the time I was talking about them, I maybe wasn't super ready to talk about them. Like I felt like an empty shell after I shared. Um, I, I remember I've, I've definitely had that feeling before, but I think that now I have, you know, enough self-awareness and, and sort of enough perspective on my journey that, uh, you know, to just be up there with a microphone sharing what I think is the best way to serve humanity is, yeah, there's nothing better than that. It's, it's sort of, why I'm here, I guess, you know, it's just, is to just serve. And I, 
I lo- I, I'm, I'm trying to like just really feed on I'm just here to serve because I think that is such a great one. I think it's a great way to live, but let's be honest, like that sort of responsibility can be, can be hard for a mm-hmm. lot of people. Like, it, you know, I mean, let's be honest. I don't know if anybody's asked you the question and it might be out of turn for me to ask you, but what do you do for yourself? Like, what do you do for Janie? Like what time do you spend saying this is for me? I'm going to just block out every, I don't, I'm not responsible for anyone else. And I just want to be myself. Like, do you, do you have, and and the reason I ask is because there's a lot of people listening to this right now who might be running because, um, they have to get in shape or they might be running. It's the only time of the day they get alone or they they're at work right now or they're, they're in the car and they're doing something. They're always on the move. And I think it's very um, educational, wise of us, smart of us to talk about the things that we do for ourselves because we have to, you know, self-care is not selfish. Mm -hmm. And you know, what, what does Janie do for Janie? How much time do you spend on yourself? I mean, there's probably two ways to look at that. You know, I'm I'm single and I live alone. So like, you know, all that, the time that in the was, world. That was not the way I was going. I was not going that way. I apologize. No. I, well, there, no, I there's your show, everybody. I appreciate Janie. For, no, I apologize. But go ahead. And no, I just that. mean like you could argue that I spend all the time in the world on myself. But I, I know what you're ta- I know what you're asking. And I, I mean, it's it's funny you know, as you were asking that, I was kind of reflecting on how most of the time I, I sort of, um, equate the time that I spend on my business and, and, um, all of the things that that entails and building my brand and, and even creating my music, I equate that to, to me time. But I think there's different types of me time that we have to consider. Like, for sure the workouts same thing it's 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 like my mornings are for my you know listening to to some type of motivational mindset podcast or or video or whatever and and then going to the gym and getting that in like that's that's for me you know and but it's like that's still pretty hard work you know and mm-hmm. and you know I, I think about some of the things that i do, like some of my hobbies and stuff like i do aerial silks and again that's for me but it's hard work and it's fun, but it's hard work. And I think I think that that's all awesome. But what I'm trying to incorporate more or like pay more attention to is fun, just pure fun. Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And that is a big question mark. You know, maybe live music needs to be more prevalent. Um, you know, social social stuff, hanging out with more people. Like, I, I definitely that's last on my priority list. Like, just pure fun. Like, let's just do something fun. That's a that's a hard one for me, but I would like. I to I mean, do you consider yourself? Do you consider yourself an introvert? Do you consider I, yourself an introvert? Would you consider I, yourself? Yeah, I'm seventy eight percent introvert. Apparently. Apparently, like okay. <laughs> so that means you've <laughs> taken the test. I understand yes. that, but do you do you consider yourself an introvert? Yes, I I think it's yeah. When I took the test, um, it was a pretty credible uh, website, and um, I. I agreed mm. with with the results for sure. I'm okay. also, you know, I also like people, um, and I and I like to be social, and and I think in general we need community for our mental health. But yeah, mm. I like, I do like to, I, I do need to have, you know, solitude as well. I I love. 
there, there's a stigma associated with introverts. My wife is one. And the fact that you have to say, I do like people, like it seems like a lot of introverts have <laughs> to like, hey, I like people. Yeah. Like I'm cool with them. Like I just, <laughs> I just like to just not be the one that it's funny that you, you do what you do and, and, um, but you're an introvert. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that's really cool. But I think it's, I think it's, I, I want to talk about fear to fears and mm-hmm. everybody listening. F E A R is how you spell fear, and we're changing fears. We're changing <laughs> it. It's F E A R C E. So this is a program that you have created, and mm-hmm. kind of talk about the Fierce Academy and what Fear to Fierce is. Yeah. So Fierce Academy is the name of my incorporated business, essentially, and the reason that I um, spell it like that is because I put an emphasis on. Um, managing fear, like I put an emphasis on on um, calling people to face their fear and 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 actually integrate that into their consciousness. Um, to dive into the philosophy a little bit more, which is which is um, you know what what the program is about. So, Fierce Academy is my company. Fear to Fierce is the signature program, um, which there will also be a book uh, later this year that is drawn from that material. Uh, but to, to dive further into the the philosophy. So Jungian psychology, Carl Jung was the godfather of shadow work, essentially. And I actually created my principles and my modules before diving into Jung's work. I knew of him, but I didn't I didn't actually know how closely linked the material that I created and his shadow work principles were going to be. Um, and basically the premise of it is we we, we as human beings um, most often in our developmental years, this happens, we start to break off these unacceptable, shameful, painful, fearful parts of ourselves. And we sort of shove them into the shadows and they become this shadow. And we either do that knowingly or unknowingly. I think it's mostly unknowingly. And it, it they, these parts of ourselves can linger in our unconsciousness. And um, if we don't, return back to them and learn to integrate them into our consciousness and into our whole being, they will actually cause us to either act out inappropriately, like become destructive ourselves, or they will destroy us by way of us internalizing um, negativity and, and sort of destroying ourselves. So my, you know, my whole sort of thesis is to face your fear because in fear, like fear is many things. It's, it's what you're afraid of. It's essentially perceived threat and perceived threat can also turn into anxiety, which is future focused. Um, you know, which is, which is definitely part of my work as well. But my whole principle is to learn to incorporate fear and use that as fuel rather than try and become fearless rather than do what you and I did you know, Mark in our, (laughs) in our history, which was essentially like, I am a God, like not, not, not that we had a God complex, but just like, I am perfect. Like I am unbreakable. You know, no one will ever see. No no one can see me. That's right. Mm -hmm. No one will ever see, you Mm -hmm. know, this, this imperfect side of me. Um, and that's what makes me powerful. It's like, no, that's what makes you weak. What makes you strong is, Knowing that you have fear and you always will and using that to your advantage, learning how to hone that and 
that making you more powerful? And that's what I mean by, you know, turning your fear into fuel. When you can incorporate your fear in your dark side and your shadow side, you by, as a byproduct become more powerful and that then becomes your fuel. So that's, yeah, we'll, I'll I, leave it at I, that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I love it. I think if, if people want to learn more about it, you know, head over to the website and we'll, we'll have a link in the show notes for that and that, you know, janiebrown.com and, and there's a place in there. You can go to Fear to Fierce. I think it's awesome. And I, I love the fact that um, you refer to yourself as a, a coach, not just a coach, like a head coach. And hmm. I think, and I'll let you kind of uh, elaborate anything on this. I think the best, the best, the two best qualities in a coach, other than the the obvious ones like you of course you depending on the the sport or the lifestyle or the whatever they're in you want them to have you know possibly technical knowledge of it but other than like the behavioral and attitude attributes is that is is vulnerability and empathy and those one the vulnerability comes from that you know strength you're talking about to be able to open up and have people know that you're not perfect and that empathy piece comes from having been through it before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you have both of them just because, you know, the stuff you're talking about right now, like what you've been through and you're you're not on here talking about this is the program everybody needs to be on. This will get you where you need to be. I was, you know, this when I was growing, I was so confident, like you're doing the exact opposite and showing people <laughs> that there, there were days where I don't I didn't think I could do it. But I want people to learn from my story. Is that is that kind of what you're trying to get at here? Yeah, I would say so. I'm glad that from your perspective, that's what you picked up because it means that <laughs> I'm doing something right with my storytelling and branding and whatnot. Um, yeah, it, it's you know I I do um, believe that we as human beings need uh, a mix of tender love and tough love. I came from a background mm-hmm. where I got both <laughs> straight up. And, um, I try to be that as a coach. Like I, I will always try to find compassionate grounds with my clients. Like that's the only way, you know, you can build rapport and they can, you know, start to integrate these, these shadow sides. Um, but at the same time, you know, there is something to be said about ripping the bandaid off. So there's, it's, yeah, I mean, I try to be both. Um, but certainly I guess, you know, my experiences with, my own dark night of the soul repetitively. Um, it does help for sure. Help me relate to the variety of different people that I work with. And I've, I've been blessed enough to work with professional athletes as well and get that insight, you know, as you were mentioning, Mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of, yeah, kind of like get it a bunch of different archetypes of people Mm -hmm. and personalities to sort of work with so that I understand, how I can best serve, you know, more and more people. So I'm a kind of, um, put you on the spot here and, and <laughs> I apologize if in advance for this, but we have love when guest. people do that. <laughs> I know everywhere. That's my favorite part. Yes. Mark, I do. You. I like it. Uh, <laughs> so la- last season we had a guest on the show, Peter George, and, and he, um, not only was a public speaker, he was, he coached public speakers and he kind cool. of helped people with, their anxieties getting on stage, what they should be doing. He, you know, a lot of the the feedback he gave people was, you know, 
you want to be believable and you want to be relatable. Like people could care less how much you know. Like they want to believe that you're truthful and all that good stuff. So he and he gave us some pointers on how to, you know, breach that anxiety and, and be able to get on the stage. So for someone out there right now who is getting on that proverbial stage that, you know, they might not be a singer, might not be a songwriter, might be a speaker, but there is that proverbial stage that they are just so fearful of getting on. Like over your years of doing this work and not only doing the work, but over your years of kind of learning about yourself and being able to get yourself. Cause I know beforehand you probably just threw your, like, I got to do this. You threw <laughs> yourself on the stage. Yeah. But now like, what have you learned about those moments before getting on that stage? What kind of things do you walk through? What exercises, what kind of advice do you have to somebody who might be having those same kind of thoughts and anxieties and fears before getting on that stage? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of different ways I can answer that. Um, I think the first thing that I would say, and I already said it, which, you know, which is who you are on the stage is who you are off the stage, period. So you can't be a mess behind the scenes and then meditate five minutes before you get on and hope that everything will be peaceful. You know, your your performance environment um, has to be dictated by your personal environment first. So you know, if, if someone's fearful, there's sort of work to be done around like, what is the fear? Like ultimately, what is the fear? And oftentimes, regardless of specifically what they're imagining, it's fear of rejection, right? Which is a social, ang- it's related to social anxiety. It's something that we all have. Um, and there's work to be done around self-acceptance when it comes to building resilience to social rejection, because we're going to get rejected. Like, like no matter how awesome we are, like we're going to get rejected at some point, whether it's the performance you're thinking of or one down the line or just like you ask someone out on a date and they like weren't into it. Like at some point we're going to face rejection. So no matter what, we have to learn to build resilience to rejection. Um, but and, and building that resilience to rejection will help then. It will help people find a little bit more footing when they're, you know, moving into these performance uh, environments. So that's definitely, you know, the let's say the the lifestyle element that needs to be addressed. And there's a lot of different ways to build resilience to rejection, which is, you know, also in my course. But if you're if you're talking about like moments before getting on stage, like not just you know hypothetically like a month before or whatever, but like moments before stage, like what's the, what's the routine for me? It's really interesting because I don't often encourage positive affirmations. I think actually positive affirmations can be a little bit of like a blinder for people instead of them actually reckoning with what they're really feeling. So, you know, instead of actually looking at, Oh, I'm, I'm afraid here and let me dig into that and face that and face the parts of myself that are looking for a need to be met. Um, People are like, I'm brave, I'm strong, I'm whatever. And then like the need isn't met, right? So I don't often encourage positive affirmations as a mechanism of coping with big emotions or coping with fear. However, moments before, I'm talking like we're, you know, five minutes before stage, there's no more work to be done. There's no more self-discovery. There's no more time. And actually the best thing you can do for yourself is positively affirm before you go on stage. Like literally like I'm I'm ready. I'm going to crush it. I'm amazing. I'm strong. Like that is when you, you know, sort of trust and go. Um, 
So the yeah, the, the approach to to overcoming stage fright is um you know, there's a lot of different methods that can help with that. A lot of different tools that can be, you know, go in the toolbox. Um but the the sort of headspace before going out under the lights, like really for me it's just nothing else is around me. We're focused on what we're about to do and we're building ourselves up regardless of what emotion might be there. Like that's when you block it out. I really love that answer for a few reasons. And and one of the one of the ones is you're absolutely right about like somebody could be in the worst headspace, just uh, just a mess. Nothing is ready. And then five minutes before they're like, okay, med- meditate, meditate real quick. 30 <laughs> seconds. And I'm yeah, but uh, it's like that. That really does. If there's that one percent of people that works for great, I'm glad you found it. But, you know, it doesn't doesn't work and i think a lot of us see you know whatever videos are out there of of large performances and we see right before they go on stage i think like miley cyrus to do it justin timberlake Usher, all these people and they'll get together real quick and like have a quick 30 second yep. prayer yeah and then they'll get on stage and it's like yep. oh that's all i need that's literal i'm good I, right. i'm gonna do that and i <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that's a good point. But we didn't see yep. the hours and days of preparation. We didn't yep. the t- exactly. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't see a person that has gone through and picked outfits and made sure everything is correct and got themselves in that space and got to the arena, you know, six hours beforehand and, and did every and, and we don't see that. We see the 30 seconds beforehand. And, that's right. Yeah. And, and we is more to that. To more to do than that, so I think that is a great way to uh, to put it because preparation goes a long way, and, and we're not talking about the preparation that you and I may have done, where we're literally trying to figure out what could go wrong, and, and we want to make sure it doesn't go yeah. wrong. But yeah, like world just, class, yeah, preparation. yeah exactly. <laughs> but you know, making sure that you know you're just in that right headspace that you're prepared, that you're, you know, let's be honest, if you're performing, that you're, you're stretching, that you're doing dynamic stretching, that you're, you know, you're not there drinking excessively before shows, although we've heard about that, like you're staying high, like staying hydrated, making sure like you have the right food in you. Like there's, there's ways to prep that get you ready to, to put to give a great show or to give a yes. great speech or, or be the best version of yourself. And it's more like, like you said, it's more than just that five minutes before. All right, now I'm good. Where the last eight hours you've been drinking, you've been eating terrible food. You've been hanging right. out with people that shouldn't be in your, your dressing room. And now you're just going to go on stage. Maybe it happens. I'll be honest. Maybe it happens some hip hop shows. I apologize for saying that, but maybe, I'm just saying maybe it does. But Oh, it happens uh, all the time. It, it, hap- <laughs> it happens in so many different. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be surprised. It's and, in all different ways that that still happens, right? And it's it's and the one thing I, I think that we should touch on is and, and there's somebody out there listening who is going to give that presentation for the first time or I think a lot of people listening remember that fear you had when you wanted to lose weight or get in shape and you didn't think you could run and now you're running and, mm. and that's great however you know there is that part of all of this of all of this that someone regardless of what they're doing, regardless of how great they were, they still feel they're, they're not worthy of any applause. 
they're not worthy of a great job. They're not worried of, oh, you killed it. You did so great. Were there times in your life where people gave you that positive admiration? They gave you that, Janie, you were, you were unbelievable out there, but you failed to even take in, like you were having trouble just even validating that and, and you just couldn't hear it. Did you, did you go through phases <laughs> of that? Legit every performance, like <laughs> all the way through. I, I always thought, mm-hmm. I always thought for sure they were just doing, like saying that to make me feel better or make me feel like I would. So I would like go on stage. I'd kill it. You know, my, like I'd be vocally, like arguably vocally perfect. Right. And I'd come off stage and I would be so mortified. Like I, like I would have heard a note inside the note that I didn't get. And I would have been so embarrassed, man. And I'd have people coming up to me backstage or like after the show or whatever, literally blown away. Like I, as I think back now, I can see it. But at the time I was like, they're just completely, dude, I, I remember like, you know, sucking it up while they would say this stuff to me and then they would leave and like everything, we'd all go home or whatever. And I would bawl my eyes out. Like just, it was so, so, you know, so disconnected. Um, and I want to say, I, I just want to go touch on something that we just kind of talked about. Um, you know, I, we were just kind of chuckling about like, you know, it, it's, it's a very, it's very common, right. That mm-hmm. people have dysfunctional lives and they're high performers still. And I'm, I, I want to make it clear that I was chuckling because I get it, not because I'm laughing at those people because I am one of those people, mm-hmm. you know, like I was, I was one of those people mm-hmm. that had a dysfunctional life and sort of tried to like calm myself down five minutes before stage. And then I forced myself and I always did well. Not everyone's going to be able to do that, like, and do well still. But even the ones that, like, let's say that you can. Let's say that you are one of those people that can, like, live dysfunctionally, go on and crush it still. Like, that's not going to make you feel good before and after, though. You know what I mean? Like, so then all mm. you have is that snapshot still. Um, but it, it's it, it's rooted in this, like, inability to cope with what's going on in your life and your lifestyle. Like it's not, it's not necessarily like these people are just lazy or they're making bad decisions because they are reckless or like delinquents or whatever. It's like they're doing, they're doing all that they can because they don't have, you know, the tools to, you know, to, to help themselves in, in like a better way. And that's, it's so prevalent in the music industry, like still, you know, um, even even though the mental health stigma is this, you know, like we're all waving the flag of let's end the stigma. And yet the music industry is just simply last to the party still, you know. So and and I'm not blaming the artists. I'm blaming like, to be honest, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit trying not to blame anyone. But like, right. You know, there's some big players in the industry that could really make some influence. You know what I mean? Like from the business side of things. But regardless, like, you know, it's up to us. It's up to artists helping artists and coaches helping artists and whatnot but Mm. that that sense of um i wanted to say that but that sense of like you know they're they're just lying when they tell me how good i was or whatever that's it's obviously rooted in like lack of deserving but it's 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 rooted in i'm not good enough for me i'll never be good enough for anyone because i'm not good enough for me i think um 
and and thank you you you, you didn't have to uh, clarify, but I appreciate you doing that. That, that <laughs> says a lot about the, your character. And you know, once the the answer you were given, like my wife and I just watched uh, Elvis a couple weeks ago, and, and we saw how the industry really just chewed up and swallowed him. And then you have artists like. You know, Mac Miller, rest in peace, who I, you know, I was a huge fan of Mac Miller. And it's, it's, he talked about it in his music and his music is beautiful. And he talked about the issues he had and it's, you just wonder like what else could have been done? Like he, he was asking for help and, and, and if that's, and we hear about the high profile musicians, we hear about them. Yeah. And those are the ones that are producing the hits and making the money. And if it's happening with them. And let's be honest, like this, this industry, I've never worked in the music industry. This is the closest to entertainment I've been in. However, like I can tell it's a, what have you done for me lately type industry? It is. Um, and you know, for all the Mac Millers, like how many are there out there that are literally, you know, busting their ass every day and doing whatever it takes just to get that single hit, just to get that single viral video, just to get that single you know, we're not even talking about gold and platinum. We're talking about sells 50,000 copies. Yeah. Like we're, we're, any that's type what we're of visibility any, at all. <laughs> any type. <laughs> yeah. Any type. So I, I appreciate you kind of bringing that to light. Um, and, and, you know, I, I hope people, well, I hope people go and, and check one, check your music out, check your, your talks out and, and, and check everything else out. And if they wanted to online, how, other than the, the website, which is com, how else can they get a hold of you online? Yeah, um, I'm across all social platforms. So TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, it's those are just Janie B world, J A N E Y B world. Um, And then YouTube is just Janie Brown. So it's, it's one, one variation or the other across platforms, either Janie Brown or Janie B world. And um, I see almost all of my messages. So, you know, you can reach out there. I think there's email links on some of my accounts. And definitely there's a contact form on my website. So yeah, it's pretty easy to get in touch. Awesome. We will have a link to those in the show notes. Janie, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Um, we wish you nothing but success in your future. And I, I think, I, I really hope a lot more musicians and a lot more people in entertainment get to hear what you're saying because, um, you know, from what what you've told me, I think people can learn a lot about that mentality is that I have to just push myself and push myself. Mm-hmm. I'm never mm-hmm. good enough. I, like you hear it all the time and I don't want to prolong this, but you hear I, you, you can watch a hundred documentaries on entertainment people and they'll all talk about or people around them will talk about how they love that they were such a perfectionist. Oh, I love the fact that he, she or she was, they had to do this. And it's like, that's exhausting. Like that's mentally exhausting. That's not healthy. And honestly, some of the best work that's come out has had errors and, or we perceive them as errors and, and your line of work, you know, this as a musician, and I'll kind of let you, you end on this is that it's subjective, like music, Mm -hmm. taste, all that (laughs) stuff is subjective. So how am I like, how am I going to make something perfect, which I'm not the audience for. So, um, you know, how do you like, how do you respond to like that, to that perfectionist? It's like, it's, it doesn't have to be. That's such a, it's such a great question. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that 
there's a difference between striving for excellence and getting in your own way. And it's it's tough. Like I think to, for each artist, it's almost like a body feeling. Like you have to, you know, I, I just recorded this this song that recently and there's a you lot of- You can give of- us the name. Go ahead and plug it. You can give us the name. <laughs> okay. Go ahead and plug it. It's called Thank You For Loving Me. And it's, uh, it's likely going to be released this year. And it, there's just, there's just been a lot of weight on this song because it's, it's rooted to some very painful times in my life. And it was written a while ago. And it's, it's, it, there's the whole song could have a, its own documentary, <laughs> like in terms of the journey it's been on, but it's just been this thing in me that I've had to complete. Like I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that I could have easily gotten into this place of like, okay, it's got to be like everything, right? Because it's it's mm-hmm. there's been all this time has passed and whatever, and it's so meaningful to me. And this uh, this time around with this song, I I took the approach of just I'm gonna execute a vocally excellent performance, and I'm gonna try to, you know, this is on the more woo woo or spiritual side of things, but I'm gonna try to connect to source energy or God while I sing, and if I can. If I can do that, and I swear, I swear to you, this vocal performance, I felt like the Holy Ghost was coming through me, man. Like it was, it was, I've never felt that type of fire in the studio. And it was just like, well, if I felt like that and the, the, the vocals sound like that, let me just let that go, you know? And there's definitely tweaks I've made and harmonies I've added and things that I've had to adjust and whatever. But there's, there's gotta be a cutoff point where you just go, the, the mission has been completed and I need to now step out of the way because it's not up to me to keep this on the shelf any longer. Like that's not why I'm here. I'm a conduit as an artist and it's a fine, it's a dance, right? It's a dance. Like each artist has to find their own like version of what that feels like. But yeah, you can really slip into that, that space mm-hmm. of like tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and like till no end. Like it could literally go on forever. And then you get into this space where you're like, okay, now I'm kind of bored of this, this track. I'm, I might not even release it at all. Cause it's like irrelevant to me now. Like you just beat it into the ground. Like don't let it get to that man. Like release it while you, you still think that there's maybe things left undone. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. You just yeah. have to. I, I love it. And give me the give me the name of the song one more time. It's called Thank You for Loving Me. All right. So you have to promise me that once you release it, you'll you'll email me or email the show so we can put it on um, I'd love our that. social media too. So we can people can hear it. So I look forward to that, Janie. Thank mm. you so much for opening up. This was a great discussion. Um yeah, I wish you wish you nothing but success in your future. We look forward to future songs, maybe a documentary about the song, future <laughs> books. So, um, you know, enjoy your schooling. Enjoy just everything you, you've worked so hard for. So we appreciate you Thank being you, a part Mark. of the show. It was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AM Run 
to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.